0: I take pleasure in introducing you. I take pleasure in introducing you.
1: Hola, señoras y señores. Welcome back to Bloodthirsty Times, a true crime podcast. Yo soy Octavio El Gordito González. Y es yo
0: boy Guillermo El Guapo Ortega. And I'm Emily. (laughs) (gasps) Round two.
1: So today... We are taking you back to the early 90s to talk about an unsolved murder of a rising Mexican superstar. So put on your best Tejana and join us in these bloodthirsty times.
2: do on a small scale what
1: governments do a large ones. They are a product of the times these are the time. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> yeah, that that one gets me amped. Yeah,
2: uh, man. That was fancy.
1: Yeah, right. We did that during El Chapo. That's when we made that one. Mm. I thought it was a thought it was appropriate for this one. Uh, actually, that song got me so amped up. I'm not. There's no banter. I'm just gonna go straight into the store. You guys cool with that? I'm down. All right, let's do this one. Uh, I'm actually very excited to tell this story. This is a story I've known about for a very long time, and I've been wanting to do it, and I think I have enough information to do it. Pretty good justice, I hope. But uh, anyways, here it goes. This is my version of this story. You can find many versions of this story all over the internet, but this one is mine. So today's story takes us across the border because we are talking about the assassination of Chalino Sanchez. And if you don't know who that is, that's okay. I didn't really either until a few years ago. Chalino Sanchez is a Mexican-born singer who found success in Los Angeles in the late 80s. You can find his influence all over the place, especially with young Mexicans and Chicanos who previously felt detached from their parents' culture. And, you know, these young kids mostly uh, listened to hip-hop and rap in the late 80s, early 90s. But when Chalino came around, he really opened up the their I don't know. They, they brought out their Mexicanness, I guess you could say. Um, and so they, you know, they had something in common with their parents with Chalino. So uh, Chalino Sanchez became known as the King of Corridos, which we have talked about Corridos briefly in our El Chapo series. But just to refresh your course, um, Corridos are basically what are known as ballads in English. They are guitar and accordion based music that can be traced back hundreds of years. Um, and the purpose of a corrido or ballot was to tell a story in a time where not only were people illiterate, but news didn't really get around as quickly or as easily. People would tell the stories of brave people um, Well, they tori- tell the story of brave men, not people, because there's a very macho, like machismo feel to it. Right. Uh, there's stories about like, you know, according to them, cool shit, things that dudes did back in the day uh, war heroes, uh, murders, sh- shit like that. You know what I mean? It's just songs about men doing men things. Chalino's saying what would be known as narco corridos, which are tales about the adventures of cartel members. And a lot of times they didn't hold back on the bloody details. They, if there was a murder, they talked extensively about the murder and what happened to the body, things like that. Um, so I guess you could call like Corridos country music and you can call Narco would be like outlaw country, except that Narco Corridos were actually about that life.
2: Oh, is that so? Yeah. I never knew that. That's very interesting. Saying
0: country artists aren't actually cowboys?
2: I think that's what he said.
1: And it's not what I said, but that's what I implied heavily. Yes, I heavily implied
0: that.
2: <laughs> so you're like comparing like Garth Brooks to Morgan Wallen. I'm
1: comparing Garth Brooks to that other dude that looks like Garth Brooks but play rock music.
2: Stop! Don't bring. Oh my god! Why did you do that? God bless oh, what's him. his name?
0: His alter ego. Don't yeah. say it. What's his I name? Hate.
2: I
1: hate that. I forgot what it was.
2: Thank is it you. Chris? It is- Chris Gaines,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: uh... Yeah. I just see Chris Angel and it just makes me so hurt.
0: He went like very emo. Yeah. I don't know what that deal was,
1: but according, we're going to listen to Emily and just not talk about it because it's just, it's so cringe.
2: (laughs) So cringe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. Um, so these narco corridos glamorize the violent life of the cartel so much so that in a lot of Mexico, narco corridos are straight up banned. You're not allowed to listen, or you can listen to them, they can't stop you from listening to them, but you, narco corridos are not allowed to be played live or even played on the radio, like publicly. You could probably listen to it in your car stereo, like if you have a CD or whatever, but you can't like play it live or, you know, out to the public. And the reason they are banned is because authorities believe they promote and encourage the criminal life and make joining cartels sound like a good idea. Uh, you know, it's like the NWA and, and gangster rap, how they were like that song, uh, Fuck the Police was banned to play live in certain cities when they would go there. It's kind of like that. You know, they, they didn't really want that anti-authority feel and, you know, encourage people to be anti-authority. So it's, it's literally banned in a lot of parts of Mexico still uh, yeah i talked to my mom and dad about it uh about a little bit of what they know because i'll get into it but they, they weren't really into this type of music but they did know it was around they knew about the cartels and the goes around and they they said that you straight up can't listen to not in certain parts and to this day hmm. so regardless the mexican people fucking love this shit and it's probably more so that it is banned it's probably more out there because you know people want what they can't have um but it's also probably because it offers a completely different feel to like the overly produced radio songs the lyrics are more down to earth and much more relatable to the everyday person because yeah they do sing about like shootouts and drug deals but they also just sing about the stories of everyday people that's one of the main draws to it is you know pretty much anybody can have a corrido written about them so that's, you know, it's more relatable and it feels more real instead of this like glamorized, you know, dudes, good looking dudes in like nice suits and, you know, big bands or whatever. So it just felt more down to earth, something you'd find in every Pueblo. You know, there's always a Norteño band playing in restaurants or something, you know, so it, it just it felt more authentic. So, like I said, I didn't really grow up listening to Chalino at all. My parents weren't into corridos in general, and especially were not into narco corridos. Uh, You know, the whole drug thing, uh, they just, I don't know if they felt like they were above it or it just wasn't something they were into, but they were more into mainstream stuff like Selena and Chente, which for the record, I could listen to Chalino now and appreciate it, but put on some fucking Chente and my Chicano ass will become fully Mexican in an instant. Like, I I think Emily heard me singing in the shower the other day. That was Gente that I had on. And it just, I don't know, it, gets, it cuts to the core of me, Baxter. It just does. <laughs> so, just because my parents didn't listen to Chalino at all doesn't mean I didn't know he existed. I had other family that would blast some Chalino. And I remember driving around Tijuana, and it seemed like every other car was blowing out their car stereos with his music. And even though Los Nieves de Enero was his biggest hit, the song that I remember hearing the most, and actually my favorite song from him, is a song called Alma Enamorada.
0: Uh, What's that mean? A love love song?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's a a love corrido. It's Alma Enamorada is uh, soul in love. Yeah, soul in love, yeah. Uh, and Los Nieves de Nero is the snows of January, which is also a love song. And the reason it's most popular is that it's the most easily accessible song that isn't about drugs. It's a love song. It's a love ballad. So the radio is able to play that song. And that's why it's his biggest hit. Because I think it's like his only radio song that he's, that he's, that he's allowed to play. So. I had known about Chalino's story for a long time because I have had this book, True Tales from Another Mexico by Sam Quiñones. But because of a recent trip to Mexico, I decided to read it again. And actually, it's right here. This this is it. He's actually on the cover. It's it's this. Um, But anyways, I decided to read it again. And the very first chapter in his book is the story of Chalino. So... I decided to do an episode about him, which meant I went on Audible to see if I could find more books about him. There isn't. I did, however, find an incredible podcast that I will be using as a source called Ídolo, The Ballad of Chalino Sanchez by Eric Galindo and Alejandro Mendoza. And just real quick, though, I I just want to say that I enjoyed both versions of this podcast for different reasons. Uh, Because they have the English version and then they have the same show in Spanish. Um, all in Spanish, and the thing is, like, I and you know the English version is good, but I related more to Alex because Alex has more like a punk rock background. Uh, like he likes all the same bands that I did growing up, so I just felt like more relatable. But I actually after finding this podcast, I looked up Eric Galindo, and I kind of just admire the dude now and like everything he's accomplished. Um, and I just want to say, like, I doubt he will listen to this, but if Eric listens to this, I hope you enjoy my version. And thanks for putting the story together. You did a good job. I don't know. Um, a little fanboying over here. Yeah, I, dude, I really am. Like he, he does a lot of cool shit that I wish I could do. Like, like a, he, he basically does what I want to do with my life. I um,
2: listened to that in the car, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm not going to know anything about this because I have zero clue what he is saying." Yeah,
0: why well, is it all in Spanish?
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I, I was Thanks. listening to the Spanish version, but the, Eric does the English version. He has a very—you uh, could tell—he speaks Spanish. He has that uh, LA kind of mexican like which like then it. brought out
2: your desire to sound i guess yeah. authentic as you said you wish you yeah, had an I accent, accent. Uh, yeah but i really do it's English. really weird
1: but i really do wish i had an accent like uh, like we'll do your um Ch- chicano accent real quick like fool oh, hey what's up dog i'm gonna go out and get some tacos and shit no, not quite that. Eric's a little no. bit softer, but <laughs> okay. it's yeah. But you, if you, if I had that accent, I'd be pretty excited. But anyways, I also used a documentary called King of Corridos, and uh Chalino's life was and is shrouded in mystery, and his life story is a mixture of fact and fiction. Despite his success as a singer songwriter, there are a lot of things about his life that make him decidedly not a good person. Like I said, he was actually about that life, and he was. He has broken the law many times and even possibly killed a man. His criminal career, for the most part, was mainly to try and make ends meet. However, um, however, he was still adored. Uh, and it makes him sort of like an anti-hero, more like Venom than Deadpool, though. He wasn't, like, funny. He was just... Venom just likes eating people because he has to. And Chalino did things because he had to. So, he's a bad person if you narrow it down but he's loved because of his music and his down-to-earth attitude. So with that little bit about Chalino, let's begin our story on May 15th, 1992. Chalino has been singing all over the place for the past seven years, but this would be the first time he would be playing a show in his hometown of Culiacán, Sinaloa. And it's a sold-out show at a place called Salón Buganvilias. The whole place is going wild as Chalino's band Los Amables del Norte starts playing while Chalino is standing on the side of the stage. After a minute, he takes the stage and walking up with him are six women, three on each side, dressed in little white dresses. And as he walks up, he takes the mic and says one of his favorite catchphrases. Yo no canto, yo ladro, pero la gente le gusta, pues que quiere que haga, oiga. Which translates
0: to, I don't sing, I bark but the people like it. So that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. Despite Chalino's showmanship,
1: Nacho Hernandez, the accordion player and leader of Los Amables del Norte, noticed that Chalino seemed like he was on edge all afternoon and even right before the show. He said that night Chalino had brought his trusty 38 with him, but because the show they were playing was a show that a lot of people had straight up told him not to play or even not to show his face in Culiacán. Almost everybody had thought this was some kind of trap because they had offered him twenty thousand dollars to do a three night show, and they actually paid him half of it up front. So it just felt like a trap. Something was wrong, and um, a lot of people just were like, "Dude, don't do not go to the show. There's no need to. Like, you have fans here. You can play shows here. There's no need to go put yourself in danger." So the night, the first night of the show, they paid him the second half because he's like, "Fuck it, I'm going." Um, so. Nachos had said that they felt it was not a good idea to go because there was some narcos who were blaming Chalino for a recent murder. But Chalino was like, fuck it, because he knew he had nothing to do with what they were trying to pin on him and thought they have no reason to fuck with me because I didn't do shit. So Chalino shows up and puts on his dehana, a flashy suit that he's become well known for. He starts playing the show and the crowd is going wild because they were able to get so close that they could physically reach out and touch him if they wanted. The show's going great until someone from the crowd hands Chalino a note. He takes it and unfolds it, then looks down to read it. And even though he had just been smiling and enjoying life two seconds before, the moment he finished reading that note, he turned ghost white and his expression changed completely from pure joy to a look that can only be described as, ah, fuck. It looks like he reads over the note once or twice, just really making sure he understood what was on that note. And then he looks up, wipes the sweat off his forehead, and crumples up the note and drops it. He looks pained, but then two seconds later, he starts singing "Alma enamorada," like nothing was wrong. We will literally never know what was that note said, but from that moment on, it would be known as a death note. If you want to see what I'm talking about, you can easily find it on YouTube. And at the time of this writing, the live music. Um, the live version of Alma Namorada that begins with Charlino reading the note has 102 million, 109,252 views. That is a fuck ton of hits for a Mexican narco corrido artist. And you guys watched that video, didn't you? I've sensed you guys. Yeah, I think
0: it's now to uh, 254
1: views. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, because of YouTube. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you guys think of uh, the when he's reading down, and what, what kind of expression did you see? Like, what did you notice in that video?
0: Um. Yeah, it looks like he's there having a good time. Reads the note, and then kind of like looks up, looks around, with like wide eyes, like ah, shit. Hmm.
2: I feel like he was like, "All right, I'm just going to go out with a bang." Like he kind of knew something was up and felt it. Maybe looks around, like you said, he wipes the sweat from his brow and then goes on about
1: his night. The show must go on. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think he. Uh, we'll get into why, but I think he was already kind of set like yep okay that makes sense like if it is in fact a death note because like i said he crumpled up the paper we will never we never knew he never told anybody what it said he never looked over at his bandmates and said hey uh i'm about to be murdered or he never said anything to anyone he just looked at the note wiped his brow and said all right i'm doing the show anyway you know a lot of people speculate about what it said and uh a lot of people think that it said if you continue the show or if you finish the show we're going to kill you and so, you know, that's a main theory. But again, there's no proof of we we don't know. Maybe well,
2: it if you leave, we're gonna kill you. So he's like, all right, fuck it, I'm gonna do the show. Yeah. Either way, he probably thought it doesn't matter what I do, I'm gonna die.
0: But <clears throat> if he's part of that narco life, he shouldn't be surprised about.
2: Yeah. We, we this will,
0: kind of stuff
1: happening, right? So, this is the very end of his life, as we're about to talk about. But um, so, there's a whole life before that that we'll get into. You'll be like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. He should be expecting this. <laughs> like, he has had a life for sure. So whatever was on that note, Chalino never, like I said, he never told his bandmates and best friend, Nacho. He never made it known that he was being threatened. He never called for backup. He just finished the show, and when it was all done, the band went their separate ways for the night. Nacho went home with his wife, and the rest of the band went wherever. But Chalino, Chalino got in a truck with two women and his brothers, Espirion and Francisco, and their cousin, Carmelo Felix, came along for the ride. Um, and one of the women was... Uh, Chalino's girlfriend in in Culiacan, his Culiacan girlfriend. Okay, <laughs> not his main squeeze, just his Culiacan girlfriend.
0: Just the Culiacan side piece.
1: Yeah. Wait, so, what? yeah, the, the one of the women was his Culiacan girlfriend, not his wife. You think he only has one girlfriend? He's Chalino Sanchez, dog. He,
2: I mean, I thought maybe he did. <laughs> I don't know. Oh man, it's
0: cute, huh?
2: monogamy, yeah. the
0: cuteness of it. <laughs> so naive when it comes to narcos <laughs> he was clearly de- like el chapo had multiple women oh wow. yeah he had okay. a girlfriend like every town he went to yeah scarface multiple women hoes yeah.
2: in different area codes
1: so i'll talk about it a little bit later lupio rivera uh another singer he does a series on him of like real anecdotes um of chelino's life and he says that uh he so chalino is known for having a bad voice and um Kind of, like, raw, but and women don't like his music because of that. But when they see his picture on the front of the cassette, they're like, Oh, he's not that bad, you know, because he was he's a good looking Mexican dude, he, he was thin and you know, he had like a ranchera feel to him. Like, he women loved the way he looked, even if they didn't like his music. But, anyways, so we are here. Uh, Chalino just finished the show, he's got an, in the truck with a bunch of people. And they took off into the night. And Nacho says that pretty soon after they left, um, he was pulled over by Suburban with PGR tags, which is the federal police. Along with the police uh, Suburban that pulled over, pulled him over was another Suburban and a Nissan Suru, which is a tiny little sedan that was just there. So it was like three cars that pulled him over. The police approached Chalino's truck. And told them to get out. Chalino was like, nah, I, I got cash money right here. Because a lot of times, the police pull you over. It's basically just to extort you. And if you give them a little bit of money or some money or however much they want, usually they'll leave you alone. Like, that's just something that's regu- that regularly happens. It's just a, a fact of life in Mexico. But this time, the police weren't interested in his money. My comandante needs to see you. So, at first, they got Espiridion, Espiridion out of his truck but Chalino convinced them that his brother didn't have anything to do with whatever was going on here. In fact, he barely knew the guy at all. Hey, don't take him. He's not to blame for anything. I just
0: met him at the show.
1: So they let his brother go, and they didn't know he was his brother, I guess, and he convinced them otherwise with that wonderful accent. And um, so they let his brother go and grabbed him and put him in the Suburban. They drove off and ended up by a ditch in a field where workers were starting their day in the early morning. There was Chalino with his hands tied behind his back and on his knees. Whoever the unlucky sicario who had to pull the trigger uh, was, he told Chalino, this is nothing personal. I'm actually a huge fan, but, you know, I have a job to do. And Chalino just looks up at him with like this understanding look and says, look, I, I get it. Go ahead and pull the trigger.
0: Four shots. Chalino oh,
1: was, shit. Oh, was shot twice, not four times. Chalino was shot twice in the back of the head, execution style, and they left him in that ditch. He was discovered early on the morning of May 16th.
0: Sorry, the the repeat was on. Just yeah. Sad.
2: Sorry. That scared the shit out of me, and I even saw it. <laughs> we
0: can edit that out in post.
1: We won't. The next day, (laughs) Nacho had traveled to visit family when his brother had come speeding down the road and told him to not even go to the next stop on the three day tour because they had just murdered Chalino. Nacho couldn't believe it. And he had to travel to a town called Las Tapias to use the phone to call the coroner's office in Culiacán to make sure that they actually had Chalino Sanchez. And they said, yeah, Chalino's here. They didn't allow anybody to see the body until the next day, and then they spent two days in San Alona memorializing him. Uh, they let people see him. There's a huge crowd gathered to see his, you know, to pay their respects. And then they took him to Los Basitos Cemetery in Culiacan to bury him where he remains to this day. There's also a small statue that people placed uh, where his body was actually found, but it's not really visited especially by tourists, because the cartel or whoever regularly leaves bodies at the
0: foot of the statue still sweet.
2: Wait, I don't know. Use it as a
0: body dropping point. I
1: don't, and they don't know if it's like a tribute to some weird tribute to Chalino or just like a morbid, like fuck you. I don't know. No one knows. They just, they just constantly leave bodies there.
2: Maybe they just like that spot.
1: And that statue is ruining their place yeah yeah could be who knows all right so now that we know how his life ended let's take things back to august 30th of 1960 when rosalino fenix rosalino felix sanchez was born to santo and senorina rosalino was the youngest of eight children and he had six brothers and one sister he was born in las flechas sinaloa and lived in extreme poverty in the nearby town of Las Tapias. Out of the eight siblings, only the youngest four even had the chance to attend school. And even then, they only went to a few years of elementary. I think it was like three years total they had the chance to go. This part of Sinaloa is part of the Golden Triangle. And the same time that Rosalino, who preferred to be called Marcelino because he thought Rosalino sounded too girly. And that actually just evolved into just Chalino. And um, taking it back, we have actually talked about the Golden Triangle in more depth again during El Chapo. And in that episode, we pointed out that there were many farmers in this golden triangle, and those that tended to drug crops made four times as much money as those that farmed food crops. Well, I guess Chalino's family decided they were going to stay on the straight and narrow, and they farmed food crops, which meant they were very, very poor. So, Chalino finishes the very little schooling, uh, which, again, was probably about three years. Then, when he was about 11, so, okay, let me make this straight. From this point on, this is, a lot of Chalino's life is like legend. So, I don't know exact ages and dates, but it's kind of like in the area. Um, He might be 11, he might be 14. It's it's hard to know uh, because this is all word of mouth and legend. So let's just say he's around 13 and his sister Juana had been raped and the rapists themselves dropped her off at home completely naked. The culprits were the Perez brothers. And even though the main guy responsible had left to go north, his brother, who had also been involved in the rape, was still around. And rumor had it he was out here bragging about how he had defiled the Sanchez girl. This guy just happened to have the nickname of El Chapo, but he wasn't the El Chapo. He was Héctor El Chapo Perez. Well, Chalino was only 13, however, and the family name was something to be defended. In this area, your family name is pretty much all you got, and it's worth defending to the death in these small towns. So Chalino couldn't have people out here talking shit and get away with it, right? He's He has to protect his family. So he swore that he would have his revenge one day Pretty much as soon as he was able to get his hands on a gun, he said, "If I get my hands on a gun, I'm coming for you." You know, the it's it's not on it's like on going to get you. So, I'm so should, Chilino, I'm ran the ran the face. Yeah. So Chalino got his chance <laughs> in about uh, again dates are confusing in this, but in, let's just say 1977. When he was maybe 16, maybe 17, again, who knows? Um, But anyway, Chalino had just been given his first pistol. And Chalino was patient. I mean, he had already waited four or five years, maybe a little bit longer. And a couple days couldn't hurt. So finally, on November 20th, which is actually Mexican Independence Day, not that bullshit American holiday Cinco de Mayo, he saw his chance and he took it. At a nearby town, at an elementary school, they were having their annual celebration, and El Chapo Perez was in attendance. Chalino pulled up to that party and watched El Chapo all night until he saw El Chapo sitting with his brothers. and They were drinking, and at this point, everyone was pretty much straight up drunk, so this was Chalino's opportunity. Chalino quickly and quietly walked up to them, and without saying a single word, fired three gunshots point-blank at El Chapo, killing him. Of course, pretty much everybody at this party had that thing on him. gunfight broke out, and El Chapo's brother tried to shoot Chalino, but somehow, Chalino was able to get away by running through the nearby weed fields. And when he got home, he was covered in scrapes and cuts from all the bushes that he ran through. But he never got shot, despite everybody shooting back at him. So now Chalino is laying low for the next two weeks. And well, okay, again, the timeline's kind of funky here. Like it's hard to pinpoint what's happening. So they, a lot of sources say two weeks. It might have been a lot longer than that. You know, the gist is he's laying low. And um, one of Chalino's brothers, named Regulo, had fallen in love with a girl. And in order to make his feelings known, he did what a ton of Mexican men have done in the past, and he went out and got a mariachi to play while he serenaded this girl. The problem is that this woman was a daughter of Aparicio Ruiz, a local cartel boss, and he wasn't down with this poor farmer trying to get with his daughter. Not to mention, Aparicio was hella drunk, and during the serenade, he came out, took out his gun, and shot at Regulo's feet, making him dance. Everybody ran away from the gunshots and Aparicio went back inside. Regulo told his older brother Armando about what happened and like I said earlier, the family name was something that needed to be defended to the death. So Armando got his 38 special and went over to confront Aparicio. When he got there, they yelled at each other in front of the house and they were just yelling back and forth when one of them, not sure who, pulled out their gat and they had themselves a little gunfight in which Aparicio shot Armando three times, but Armando managed to shoot Aparicio five times. Armando managed to gather his strength and walk over to where Aparicio was laying and pull the trigger until the gun clicked, just to make sure he was dead.
0: Damn. Mm.
2: It's
0: a rough growing up.
2: Wow. Yeah. Also, who has parties at elementary schools like that?
1: Uh, a small town maybe it was the biggest open area that they could find i don't know i am not <laughs> sure i don't think they intended well no i mean parties were pretty known to if you didn't have a shootout in this area or someone getting shot in this area it, it was kind of
0: it wasn't unexpected. a party Expected,
1: yeah it wasn't a party it's almost like in game of thrones where um the jason mormoa's tribe I forget what they're called um at, at every wedding there's at least three deaths it's kind of the same thing
2: I don't know. What was this tribe? Is it Daenerys or whatever?
1: Daenerys' wife. Oh, whatever. The Draken?
2: Drago? Drogo?
1: Drogo's his name. Cal Drogo.
2: I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure someone out
1: there's yelling at us right now about what the thing is.
2: I've never seen it, so I'm not any help.
1: Yeah. But yeah, essentially that was like the thing. At a party or a gathering, if someone didn't get shot at least, it wasn't really a party. So I guess they should have expected it, but again, small towns, because this is a very poor part of Culiacán, and um, this is just how life was, because this is the upcoming drug capital of all of Mexico. So Armando, who had been shot three times, had been seriously injured and ended up at a hospital in Culiacán. Since both brothers were not safe and probably had targets on their back, they both decided to head north and ended up at his tia's house in L.A. But pretty soon, they traveled all through California and even up into Oregon, chasing work in the fields. Wherever Armando went, Celina was right there with him. After a few odd jobs here and there, working in the fields and shit, he decided that he wanted to come back to L.A. and settled in Inglewood. Now that he was back in... Yeah, for him, it's, it's a very Mexican-controlled area. So where he knows his people, there's a lot of uh, what we call Culiches, which is people from Culiacan. That's their nickname, Culiches. There's a lot of them in this area. That in every year, more and more are coming in, specifically from Culiacan, Sinaloa, and they all settled here in Inglewood and in, in the surrounding areas. But uh, so now that he's back in LA, he he never really had steady employment. You know, he washed cars for for a while, and you know. By this time, he'd already spent six years living in California, doing whatever job comes up, some illegal, some not legal. Uh, I mean, some legal, some not legal, and anything that made money. So when he was in California in 1983, he met Maricela Vallejo, who had come from Mexicali and ended up working at the same sewing factory as Chalino's aunt. The way they met could possibly considered be considered romantic, Maybe back in the day, but through the lens of 2022, it would probably be seen as problematic. Emily, you can tell us if this is romantic or cringe. Okay? You be the judge. Okay. So, when Chalina was 22 and Maricela was 24, she had stepped off the bus one morning into the pouring rain, and with no cover around, she ended up getting soaking wet. Chalino, who happened to be sitting in his car at the corner, saw Maricela... Uh, just standing there in the rain. So he decided he needed to get her attention. And how does a macho guy in the early 1980s get a girl's attention? He revs his engine and speeds up, making it seem like he's going to run her over. Marisela looked through the glass, uh, the car window, and just as he slammed on the brakes, inches away from her, and saw that the man inside was laughing. He rolled down his window and offered her a ride, which she accepted. Nope. <laughs> See, this just reminds you of like the notebook when he was—he wouldn't take no for an answer and he was doing crazy shit like hanging from the, uh, the Ferris wheel. That's Fat what it reminds me of. Fat chance in hell if
2: you try to run me over, I'm ever speaking to your ass again. I might pull your ass out of the car and beat you to death.
1: See, this is what I'm talking about. 1980s. This is romance.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thankfully, we've come a long way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so she accepted the ride under the condition that she would be driving the car. And when he agreed, she got in the driver's seat and drove off like a bat out of hell. Her intention was to scare the shit out of him, just like he had done to her. It worked. Chalino swore that he would never get in the car if she was driving. Ever again. But through all of that, they ended up falling in love and got married about a year later in 1984 while she was pregnant with her son, Adan Sanchez. And then a little bit after that, they had a daughter, Cynthia. They would stay married until his death.
0: Aww.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that just romantic? Oh,
0: it brings a tear to my eye. It's so adorable.
2: A tattooed tear. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. What a shit show already.
1: So in late 1983, probably because they were expecting a child, Chalino went down to Tijuana to help his brother Armando... With his coyote business, or um, boy, boyero in Spanish. So, if you don't know what a coyote is, he they are human traffickers. It's
0: a small dog. You pay.
2: Wait, that's what I was thinking. What are we talking like about? It's, it's like...
0: like a small wolf mm-hmm. traveling packs. They eat yeah, that. household pets. They're yeah, that's,
2: that's,
1: that's all true, yeah. But they are also...
2: Who a household pet for a coyote?
0: I don't no, know. I mean a coyote eat, for a household pet. They eat your household pets if they are oh, outside.
2: You <laughs> said people have them as household pets.
0: <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't be surprised.
2: True.
1: These are all true things. However, what I'm talking about when I say coyote is human traffickers. Oh. You pay, that, you pay oh, the co- coyote. coyote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you oh. pay the coyote and he gets you across the border. Although safety is not necessarily guaranteed. They're just going to try to get you over. If you don't make it, you don't make it. It's it's really no skin off their back. So, Chalino didn't like his job as a coyote, but it did pay well. Enough, I guess, even though a lot of people that cross tried not to pay their fees. And that was one of the things he hated. He hated having to get money out of people. uh, Because a lot of people would cross and be like, oh, I don't have the money or whatever. And they're going to get that money. Uh, I don't know why you would think someone who's doing something illegal wouldn't get their money somehow. I don't know, but Chalino didn't like it. He didn't like helping his brother be a coyote. But he helped his brother with the business for about a year, I would say, maybe a little bit over a year, until December of 1984. And according to the corrido Chalino would go on to write about the incident, Armando was asleep in his hotel room in Tijuana. When early in the morning, somebody who Armando trusted shot him seven times while he was sleeping. This wrecked Chalino, who was super close to his brother. Shortly after his brother's death, Chalino himself would end up in La Mesa jail in Tijuana for about eight months, and it's not really clear why he was thrown in jail at all, but it actually turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to him. I mean, aside from La Mesa being one of the worst prisons in the world to go to, yeah, aside from that, it turned out to be really good for Chalino's career. If you've ever seen Worst Prisons in the World show, it's on there many times. La Mesa is not a place you fuck around with. It, it is a horrible, horrible fucking place. It's scary
2: to watch even just to like see them display the facility. It's very scary.
1: I remember like in 2012, there was like a riot and like 19 people died
2: during like, that riot. There's like people dying every day or like there's at least, I think they said like on statistically speaking, there's like a 99.7% chance that someone will die daily or there will be a near death fight.
1: Sounds about right. The place is scary. So inside of La Mesa prison, Charlino would sleep on the concrete floor since he was new. But luckily for him, while he was there, his cousin Ismael Sanchez happened to be locked up. And actually, a lot of Kulichis were locked up with him. So he already knew a ton of people, even though he was brand new there. He, he's like, oh, you're here too. You know, oh, shit, it's you. You know, A lot of people from his town and he grew up with were in this prison. So, Israel Sanchez played guitar and for some reason they were allowed to have instruments. You would think such a gnarly place wouldn't give a shit about their happiness, but they had instruments they were able to play. And Israel Sanchez had a guitar. So, when they had time, they would all sit around and tell stories about themselves and their adventures or stories about loved ones while the guitar would be playing in the background. And even though corridos had been around forever, hearing the mixture of real stories from real people while a guitar gently wept was a spark of inspiration Chalino needed. The very first corrido he ever wrote himself was a ballad of Armando Sanchez as a way to honor and remember his brother. Well, word got out around uh, about how good that song turned out. And so a few people would ask Chalino to write a corrido about either themselves or somebody from their town and eventually they would give Chalino money or trade nice watches or guns for a song written and sung for them specifically. Which I'm not going to lie, I would fucking love a corrido about me. I mean, it would be the most boring song ever, but man, that would be fucking great, wouldn't it? Just a whole song about you and things you've done? Yeah. <laughs> I can't Dope. imagine. Yeah, it'd be boring. It'd be great. i yeah. love it. Sure he sat be. on his computer. Very short, very short song. <laughs> He one time got an ace in Rainbow Six. I don't know. Just one, one time. time. Yeah, just one time.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, Uno eso para Octavio.
2: <laughs> Sing so the whole challenge.
0: thing. Y mucho más, pero no tengo time.
1: Or dinero. Or dinero. Or dinero. So, Chalino was out here making a name for himself as a corrido writer. So, when he got out of jail in the late, in late 1985, he had a total of 15 corridos that people on the inside had paid him to make. And these songs were about them, you know, these criminals that gave him money and said, hey, write a song about me. So, he could write a song, right? He was good with words, putting them on paper and, or you know, making it sound good, telling a story really well. But man, he was a fucking awful singer. He was bad. He, he was rough. He was untrained. So he went out and convinced an actual Norteño band called Los Cuatros de la Frontera to record his corridos for him. They agreed, but the singer was taking his sweet time getting to it. And remember, the people who commissioned these songs were criminals in one of the roughest prisons in the world. So they weren't exactly the most patient people in the world, right? they they're not, they're not gonna wait you're gonna get shot if you don't give them their fucking song that's what i'm saying so this left him with no choice the norteño band showed up in early 1987 and chalino stepped up himself to sing his own corridos he didn't know shit about recording and knew less about being a good singer he just wanted to get the songs recorded and delivered he went into a guy named angel para studio in paramount and recorded the 15 songs in less than four hours and only made 15 copies of this first tape, one for everybody who had paid him to write a song about them. So after his little recording sesh, he went back to the old grindstone. He had a ton of employment, but mainly it's said that Chalino was a driver for a narco base, traficante based out of Bell Gardens named Rigoberto Campos, or Don Rigo for short. Rigoberto was a pretty well-known cartel guy and this is pretty much where the rumors about Chalino actively being part of the cartel comes from. Rigoberto himself had a pretty interesting story considering uh, when Chalino met him, Rigoberto had two prosthetic arms that he had fitted so he could change the grip in order to hold a gun and pull the trigger if he needed. When So the story of that is that when Rigoberto was much younger, He was in a Mexican prison, I think it was La Mesa, and he met a young woman who was an American missionary named Elizabeth Brenner. They had, you know, taken a fancy to each other inside a prison. I don't know how that happens, why an American missionary would fall in love with a Mexican man in La Mesa prison, but it's what happened. And after he got out, he would eventually marry this woman. Rigoberto would keep up his criminal ways, however, and was making a name for himself not only as a drug guy, but as a guy to be feared with a gun because he was ambidextrous and he was deadly with both hands. So much so that he caught the attention um, of some rivals who would capture Rigoberto and then run both of Rigoberto's arms through a wood chipper.
0: Jesus Christ.
2: That's one way to stop him from pulling a trigger.
1: It didn't. He somehow survived, and that's how he ended up with custom prosthetics that were able to pull trigger still. Still just as deadly, just with prosthetic arms.
2: I thought you were going to say he like, trained himself to do it with his feet. <laughs> That'd be crazy. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at this point.
0: I you can't imagine the pain of having your arm go Dude, through a wood and he was Just
1: imagine the screams coming from that. Dude, you're just like being... Forced into a wood chipper, just your arms, blood coming out the other. Oh man, that's
2: what's to stop the rest of your body going and after, like your arms, like them oh, holding you,
1: nothing. them holding you back. That's or... A lot
2: of weight to hold. I would feel like they're the machine would suck you in.
1: Yeah, I've actually thought about the like logistics of doing this to somebody, and how do you force someone to put your arms to the put gun to their head? I don't know. Like how you do you let her knock them unconscious? that'd be so tough
2: or I you think. just hold their arms dead like weights hard and then when, and then when you wake up
0: in. when you wake up to your first arm going through they got to knock you out again <laughs> to get your second arms there
2: no he probably just put them together and dove in you know
0: i think what we can
1: take from this is that narcos are determined people definitely anyway charlino worked for this guy for a hot minute until one day as a driver and who knows what else he did I don't know what being a driver entails, running drugs across the border. I I, I really don't know what that means, what he did. Uh, but it sparked a lot of conspiracies about why he was murdered, you know, because he was part of that life. Like I said, he actually lived the life of a narco at some point. Um, so anyways, he did that for a hot minute until one day while Rigoberto was in his office at an Italian restaurant because Don Rigo is a huge fan of mob movies. So why wouldn't his base of operations be an Italian restaurant? You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. they call him Don? Yeah, Don Rigo. Well, Don in in Spanish is also just like boss or you know, some a term of respect as well. Like Don Rigo. Yeah, but... Don Julio. Don Julio. That's the only one I know. So he's at this Italian restaurant, right? And he's being he's in his fancy suit, just like a mob boss would be. And uh, anyway, on this day, Elizabeth comes running in, crying with her dress torn and tells Rigoberto that one of his best men just tried to have his way with her. And Rigoberto is like, who the fuck do I have working for me that would be crazy enough to try and get with my wife? You know, she tells him that Chalino Sanchez was the guy. But just then Chalino comes running in and yells, No,
0: Don Rigo, she's telling you lies. She's crazy. She's loco in the cabeza. She wanted to get with me, but I never touched her.
1: Don Rigo looks up and without saying a word, he flips his arms into gun mode as easy as Emily flips her crocs into sport mode. (laughs) Seeing this, Chalino takes off running and never returns to work for Don Rigo. I don't know if he believed Chalino or not, but he was never able to get his revenge because uh, this is 80-something, say 88, 87. Uh, so about three years later, uh, give or take. Um, again, the timeline is super unreliable. Anyways, Don Rigo had met his end. He had been in Tijuana driving towards the horse track in his white Mercury Grand Marquise, along with his bodyguards who were behind him, also in a white Mercury Grand Grand Marquise. When they reached the main road leading to the horse track, they were ambushed by a rival cartel. On both sides of the road were men with AK-47s, and each AK came equipped with what's called a cuerno de chivo, which is what narcos call the extended curved magazine. Altogether, they unloaded over 200 rounds into Don Rigo's convoy, killing him and his guards instantly and injuring several innocent bystanders that happened to be walking on the boulevard that day. And, of course, Chalino sang a corrido about him.
2: 200 rounds?
0: Yeah. One is Couldn't it find dead. that
2: one. Couldn't find 200 rounds.
0: No, I could just hit repeat. <laughs> over and over. <laughs> yeah.
1: So six months after those first 15 tapes were made, Chalino was back in Angel Parra's studio recording 15 more corridos. And again, only got 15 copies made for the people who commissioned them. I'm not entirely sure of the timeline. I keep saying here, but uh, if he continued to record before Don Rigo or during Don Rigo or after Don Rigo, I'm not really sure when he did this. But in early 1988, Chalino was back for another recording session and ordered his usual 15 copies. But then, the very next day, he calls Angel Parra back and asks for 25 more copies. Then, the next day, he ordered more. So, Angel said, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just make 300 copies because Angel had a good feeling about where this was going. And he was right. They had sold all the copies almost immediately.
2: Jeez.
0: So, his career was starting to
1: take off here. This is when it starts to really pick up, yeah.
2: So, he is got better. Word... He didn't suck anymore?
1: No, he sucks still. So.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Uh but that's kind of what that was kind of his charm because he didn't have a traditionally good voice and we're we'll talking about it in a
0: second but um it's more of the the lyrics and the Yeah, the feel songwriting.
1: It. Yeah, it's the feel of it, the the passion behind it, I guess. Um, but around this time, back in Culiacán, Nacho Hernandez was hanging out with a friend who was excitedly showing Nacho this new singer he found that he really liked. And of course, that was Chalino. And Nacho sat there and listened, but he didn't like it at all. He thought this guy had an awful fucking voice, but he was respectful of his friend, so he just listened and kept his mouth shut. Nacho, in his own right, was a rising accordion player and was making a name for himself with his band Los Amables del Norte. So in 1988, Nacho and his band ended up in Los Angeles in Angel Para Studio as the backing band for none other than that same dude he was talking shit on. The crazy thing is, Nacho and Chalino were, were from the same pueblo and lived super close to each other, but had never met. Mainly because Chalino was seven years older than Nacho, but also their two ranchos where they lived were like back to back, and in order to get to the other, they had to like go around like the roads. You know what I mean? To get to the other side, so they just never did that. So even though they live like in the same neighborhood, they never met each other. Um, But anyways, now they were both here in the studio, and the thing was when the band started up. And Nacho started playing his accordion, then Chalina started singing, it just fit. And Nacho took back what he said about his voice. They just complimented each other in a way that obviously many, many, many people love. And it's just a match made in heaven, essentially. So... The rough, untrained voice of this down to earth immigrant was the perfect voice for the style of music and the real life lyrics he was singing. It didn't matter that Chalino didn't have a traditionally good voice because he sang from the heart and he put his soul into it. You can feel his words because he has lived them the same way you can tell when, like, a gangster rapper is actually about that life and not just saying shit to say shit, you know? Like, you can always tell when someone is singing from experience. And that's kind of what the draw was for him. He was real.
0: Yeah, it's like Snoop Dogg versus Mumble Rappers.
1: Yeah. Or anybody versus Mumble Rappers. Everyone's more authentic than Mumble Rappers.
0: Yeah, you're like Takashi. He's just a snitch, though. Fucking idiot. Isn't he dead? No, he's just a snitch. You would think. No. He went to prison. He's protected right now.
1: If he died, it'd be a big deal. Well. But anyways, so the problem was that even though the everyday Mexican person in the States and in Mexico um, loved him, he still wasn't what the established record companies were looking for. So to get him more playtime and more recognizable, they did it guerrilla style and took their tapes to local car washes and local bakeries, local marketas. But most importantly, they took their product to the swap meets in Los Angeles where they made an absolute fucking killing. And through word of mouth and people bumping his music hella loud on the streets, he got just as much promotion, if not more, than he would have through a traditional record company. Pretty soon, he wasn't ordering 15 copies at a time, or even 300. He was ordering 1,000 copies at a time, which then allowed him to create his own label, and he ended up calling it RR Records.
2: What is a swap meet? I don't
1: know why it called it RR. What did you say?
2: What is a swap meet?
1: Oh, Lord have yeah. mercy. Um, I, I don't what? know. How, it's just such a common thing for me. I don't even know how to describe it. it you take your wares to booths in a parking lot or drive-in movie theater and sell your shit to
0: people.
2: So it's a flea market.
0: Is Swap it? market.
2: That's what we call flea markets here. <laughs> like, are you talking about like, you know, like booths where you can set up... People just bring, like... You can have used shit, new shit. It's like fake shit, real shit, whatever. Just yeah. Just a bunch of shit people sell. Yeah, mm-hmm. A lot of it's like
0: homemade stuff that they're trying to sell. Sort of like having a storefront. They just bring it to a swap meet. Yeah. Okay. Is that the same as the flea
2: market? I mean, people do make stuff, like... I think it's Homemade stuff. But like the straw but, market... But normally, like, Mexico, flea markets
0: are indoors. Whereas swap am market... On top.
2: The only flea markets I've ever been to down here are outside, we have like the um what is it called antique stores or antique booth places too, but we also have flea markets. Like there's one on Minj Avenue or off Minj Avenue. Yeah, I know. Exactly oh yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. There definitely is. Yeah,
1: but yeah, he, they would so they would take their cassettes and take them to swap meet and just play their music and sell as many tapes as they could, which this is this is his people. This is the people that were looking for him and trying to listen to him. So he made a kill in here. He sold a lot of tapes. So in October of 1988, Chalino met Pedro Rivera, who is also known as the patriarch of the corrido for his massive work towards making his record company, Cintas Acuario the most successful Latin label in the world. Not only that, but he has produced so many influential corridos, artists, and other People, Because when I say produced, I literally mean produced because almost all of his children are involved with the music industry in some way. But most notably, his daughter, Jenny Rivera, who sadly died in a plane crash on December 9th, 2012, after a show in Monterrey on her um, on her way to Toluca. Along with Jenny, her brother Lupio is also a huge success, and actually, just yesterday, I found a whole series of videos Lupio put out called Anecdotas con Lupio Rivera, where the main purpose of the video series is for people like me, who knows about Chalino through the countless videos we've watched and books we've gone through, to try to understand Chalino and his life as best as possible, but Lupio presents Chalino's life through his own personal anecdotes and his own interactions with Chalino and what was going on at the time. And honestly, that's why this episode was delayed today, because I needed time to watch all of Lupio's videos a few times each so I can get a good understanding. So again, I doubt Lupio will ever hear this, but thank you for making that series. But I digress. (laughs) Everyone
0: just taking my catch line now?
2: I was just about to say that. Everyone is stealing your shit with
0: okay. It's free. It's free market.
2: <laughs> that's I have that's a trade IP market. right there. You should get IP pay for that. It's still if, I'm, if
1: I'm on the same podcast, do I still have to pay the royalties?
0: No, nah, just take like a percentage.
2: Yeah, what's going to say? <laughs> just give him a percentage of yours.
1: Okay, well, I'll get that to you soon. At least 10. Just, Um Just 10? Just higher,
2: higher.
0: Percent.
1: Uh, percent. I uh, thought I was going to give you 10, whatever. Like a flat fee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just 10. 10. 10 what? Yep.
0: <laughs> I'll come up with it. I'll <laughs> give you 10
1: pesos. So, according to Lupio Rivera, in October of 1988, he was at the swap meet peddling cassettes because at this point, his dad Pedro had already started dipping his toes into the music biz. He was bumping Chalino's music super loud at his, super loud at his stall when a couple of guys walked up and wanted to know who was playing. Lupio, who was a salesman after all, was talking Chalino up and making the buyer think he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And the guy asked him which one was the newest, and which one was the best. And then it turns out the guy trying to buy the tapes was Chalino himself. They, I guess Chalino just wanted to test him see if he was an actual fan or was just peddling tapes that he found somewhere. So Chalino and Lupio get to talking and it comes up that Lupio is actually Pedro Rivera's kid. Then Chalino said, are you really Pedro's kid? Because I've been trying to find Pedro for a hot minute. And Lupio said, bro, he's like two booths down. And that's how Chalino met the Rivera family and the rest is history. Meaning Chalino and Pedro Rivera put out a couple of albums together. And they were, you know, his first like actual produced albums in an actual studio.
0: Yeah, I mean, just find him at a swap meet.
1: Yep, just found him at a swap meet. I think that's or flea market.
0: That's, <laughs> depends on where you live.
1: <laughs> I think that's just it goes to show that outside of the mainstream media and the main record companies, you this is how you meet people. This is how you network, especially back in the, in 1990, 1988. This is how you do it. You go to the swap meet where people are, and you make connections there. Makes sense. So for the next two years, he continued to gain a following and would play any show that he could. Didn't matter what it was. It could be a bar or small venue or even a quinceanera. Literally anything to make money and get his name out there. Eventually, he figured he had enough fans that in 1990, he asked Abel Orozco if he could play at a popular venue called El Parral. And Abel agreed. The night of the show came and he was set to go on late that night, but the venue had to shut the doors by 8 p.m. because it was at capacity by 8 p.m. And the show wasn't like 10 or something, maybe even later. From then on, Chalino didn't have to ask anybody to play at their venue. He had offers out the ass to play everywhere. With his reach getting further and further, that's also something Pedro did. He had a better network to get his music to further audiences. So that was a huge part of his coming up is that instead of just going to swap meets pedro actually had you know routes to get his music far and wide
2: but he doesn't so, sound like shit at this point right i don't he still get sounds that. like
1: shit he's always going <laughs> to sound like shit the production has gone up but his voice remains the same he's rough and country basically
2: oh, okay
1: like for instance like he he doesn't have the traditional like voice that you'd expect from a mexican singer like a really like um tone like professional like Instead of saying, for example, te fuiste, which is correct in Spanish, it means you left. He says te fuistes, which is how the paisas or the, the local Oh, that's speak. what you
2: were saying the other day about the like enunciation or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah. So he just he speaks the way that they do. So they relate to it even more, which is is huge part of his draw. So with his reach getting further and further, he decided that it was time to write his corridos a bit differently. Only because before, he could write corridos specifically for somebody and only a handful of people who were close to the person that commissioned it would actually hear them. But now that he had a much wider audience, he needed to be more careful with what he said in his songs. Because those same people who he wrote the songs for had rivals and enemies. And obviously the person who paid for the song is going to be the good guy in the story. And his rival's the bad guy. So he wanted to avoid pissing people off, so he scaled back what he said about the real-life people he's saying about.
0: Makes sense.
2: Yeah.
1: 1992 was a huge year for Chalino, and not just for the whole, you know, being murdered thing. The year started out with a bang in early January when he had been paid to play at a private quinceanera. But word got out that he would be there, so on the day of the party, hundreds of people were trying to crash the party, and a mini-riot happened, and property was destroyed, and the police had to come and handle the situation. Then, just a few weeks later, on January 20th, Chalino had a gig lined up in Coachella. And no, not that basic-ass music festival for hipsters and shit. It was a little venue called Los Arcos, famous for the Mexican acts that played there.
0: But it was in Coachella
1: yeah it was coachella city
2: wait that's a place
1: yeah why do you think it's called coachella
2: i have no idea
1: you thought the festival music
2: festival was called coachella
1: and nothing else
2: nothing well i mean i know it it is is, it's It's called coachella because it's in coachella i thought it was in new york so i just
0: wait the more you know
2: (laughs) 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 yes i thought it was in new york okay until like a couple months ago,
0: you thought Coachella was in New York? Yes, I did. <laughs> the way his sure voice wrote.
2: <sighs> I told you geography is not my thing.
0: <laughs> okay, where's Stagecoach at? Texas? No. Is that Lake Elsinore? Fucking stupid. It's in the same spot. I thought that was well, Lake Elsinore. Yeah. No. Is in Coachella. Coachella. Coachella and Stagecoach are that same venue.
1: Dang, I knew that Stagecoach was in Southern California. It's like fest? A, is is Stagecoach fest? the Warp Tour Chicago of Country?
2: Nope, it's in New Orleans.
0: Oh, I could have guessed that. Yeah, I could have mm-hmm. guessed that Voodoo anyway. Fest,
2: yeah. Jazz Fest. Where's that?
0: I don't care. Somewhere <laughs> in this stupid area.
2: New Orleans.
0: There's <laughs> Hangout Fest too.
2: That's in Gulf Shores, I think
1: it is where it's in the area anyways
2: <laughs> sorry
1: the venue was packed out this place called Los Hachicos. Uh and packed out means at least 400 plus people and this was starting to become a normal thing right for any Chalino show there's people outside the gates waiting to get in that had been locked out basically because they were at capacity and so the show is going great right and around midnight Chalino started taking requests and a drunk guy named Edward Gallegos, who, according to True Tales from Another Mexico, was a 33-year-old mechanic who, aside from being drunk, was also high on heroin. And this guy was in the crowd, and he wanted to hear a specific song called El Gallo de Sinaloa. But Chalino kept taking different requests. The The guy kept getting closer to the stage and asking for the same song over and over. And after a few songs played... You know, without being the song he wanted, the guy was getting irate and was yelling at Chalino Sanchez. Asme caso, cabrón. Listen to what I'm telling you, fucker. So Chalino looks down and says, fine, I'll play that song. And is about to start singing it when for some reason he changes his mind and sings a whole different song.
2: Just throwing his whole band off
0: i mm-hmm. was no, like fuck you bitchy bendejo we fucking tell me what song to play play whatever the fuck i want it's like dj request yeah play any song with that one fucker <laughs> get the fuck out channeling my inner scarface now yeah it's,
1: it's getting a little bit italian um when the band started playing that other song, Gallegos climbed onto the side of the stage and walked right past Nacha who moved back to not get in the middle of whatever the fuck this was. When Chalino looked over, he saw that the guy was holding a 25 caliber pistol in his hand. So Chalino immediately pulled out his own 10 millimeter pistol and started shooting at Gallegos. And the first shot missed him, and when he pulled the trigger again, trigger again, the gun jammed. So Gallegos fired back and shot Chalino twice in the side, perforating his lungs. Chalino still managed to leap off the stage and run from the gunman, but unfortunately the only way out was through the crowd. Several more shots went out and Nacho ended up getting hit in the thigh. And sadly, because Gallegos had kept shooting in Chalino's direction while he ran through the crowd, 20-year-old Rene Carranza was shot in the leg. And even though his friends frantically tried to get him to the hospital, he ended up bleeding out and passed away. Some people in the crowd ended up wrestling the gun away from Gallegos and shot him in the mouth. Then a crowd of people started just kicking the shit out of Gallegos. Gallegos survived and was sentenced to 15 years to life for the murder of Rene and attempted murder of Chalino. And he is currently still in prison. And he still has never told anyone exactly why he decided to shoot Chalino that night. Ever. He's never said anything about it. He could have just been high. Couldn't he wouldn't play it. a
2: song. Because
0: he didn't play my fucking song.
2: Yeah, but... Yeah. We, uh,
1: I mean, I guess the combination of not getting what you want and being stupid high on heroin... Mm-hmm. Pull the trigger. And drunk. Yeah. And drunk, yeah.
2: And it's Coachella, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, Coachella at this time, this is well, way, way before uh, the festival. It's it's just mainly a Mexican place. There's a lot of... I just
2: want to know how the fuck yeah, he it's just survived. Like, it's like big,
0: big farmlands out there. Yeah. What? He was
2: shot in the mouth, beat, and like he was shot like in the leg or something, right? How did he Not, survive?
0: Nacho was shot in the leg. Oh, yeah, Nacho he was shot him. in the mouth like through and through his cheek or something like that. Yeah, right? something.
1: It didn't specify. I just said he was shot in the mouth and then got the shit kicked out of him by the crowd. So, Chalino himself was rushed to Desert Hospital in Palm Springs where he underwent life-saving surgery and almost didn't make it out alive. For two months, Chalino was in the ICU recovering. Meanwhile, because of him surviving an attempted murder and not to mention how fucking badass it was that he pulled out his own gun and shot back at his attacker only made him way more popular than ever. And now the radio is actually playing one of his songs, the song I mentioned earlier, Los Nieves de Enero. And it's A love song, which is why they probably agreed to play with it. There's nothing about death in it. It's just unrequited love. And uh, it's actually, you know what's crazy about that? He sang the song, but it's actually a song he didn't write himself. It's just a cover of a song from the 1950s. Either way, he still was getting airtime and his tapes were selling better than ever.
2: So he ripped off a song from the 50s? Covered it. Was it actually covered? Did he rip it off?
0: No, he covered it. Okay. He covered it, Emily.
2: All right. Okay. How dare you? (laughs) Don't like come for me, anyone with a gun. Or you (laughs) (laughs) brought it upon yourself. Yeah.
0: Hissed off, freaking Norco (laughs) corridos.
2: I'm sorry. Take it back, kinda.
1: (laughs) Ah sorry excuse me so as chalino lay hospitalized though his thought process changed dramatically he had just barely survived an assassination attempt and that could happen to him again at literally any point so he started getting his affairs in order and tried to make as much money as possible as quickly as possible which meant he made a lot of rash decisions which weren't financially smart as far as longevity goes He was thinking about now and not the future. You know what I mean? He needed money now. The future's not promised. So he straight up sold the masters and rights to his song to MuseArt for like $115,000 without a clause for royalties because Chalino didn't understand how the business worked and didn't fully grasp just how big he was getting, which meant he never fully understood the potential money that could come his way. But for him, he didn't care. He wanted money up front now because he could be shot dead today or tomorrow or a year from now. So he just wanted to make sure he had enough money to leave his family. So, with the money he was getting, he made sure to buy a house and cars and would do extra shows at nightclubs for like $15,000 a weekend uh, just to save up and leave for his family. Then he Can you started charging.
0: Making that much money over a weekend? $15,000.
1: And this is
0: 1992 money. So
1: that's. A lot more, forty-five. all right quick math, huh? Quick math, quick math.
0: So well, yeah, not high,
1: but not only that though, dude. He, he wasn't just doing the shows. He started charging two thousand dollars for every corrido that someone wanted written about them. And it probably, you know, this mentality of shifting of getting money now. Aside from being almost murdered, it probably didn't help that after he was almost murdered in Coachella, he was getting death threats all the time. So I mean I, I assume that would has to be something to do with it too because he's already he's already been shot and survived right? and he doesn't know if that'll happen again but now he's someone people are saying it's going to happen again you know that probably gets to your head you have a whole you have a wife and two kids to look out for and so you're just trying to amass as much money as quickly as possible because he he didn't know He'd never, he never he didn't know when his last day was going to be so he just did the rash thing. He just sold basically everything, rights to everything, which now I think those same songs... I mean, that YouTube video had 102 million views. His royalties now would be in the millions because he's so popular.
2: But I mean, like, someone could essentially have stepped up and, like, done this after his demise.
1: He sold, him, sold the music rightfully. I don't think there's anything... Like, legally, like, it was a biting contract. He sold it straight up for whatever they gave him. I don't gotcha. think there's anything legal he could have done for his family anyway. Like, I don't think his family is, like, struggling. I don't think they're that well off, though. Go okay. So, after, two month, after a two-month stint in the hospital, he went on a radio talk show uh, to talk about how he survived, and more importantly, to let people know that nothing was changing. He was going to go, he's going to get back on that stage. In fact, he had a three night event planned at El Paral just two months after being shot twice through the lungs. Of course, the show was fully sold out as soon as he was announced, and they had to shut the doors by 6 p.m. And hundreds of people stood outside the venue just hoping to catch a glimpse of Chalino or even hear him a little bit. He eventually got back with Los Amables del Norte and they played only a handful of shows together before the show in Culiacán on May 15th, which was just four months after the shootout in Coachella. So many people told him not to go to Culiacán. But, you know, like I said, in the very beginning, Culiacán had offered him too much money not to go and he had already you know, received half of it. Plus, this wasn't the first time he had gone back to Culiacán. He had been back plenty of times. It's just that this time he was going back as a famous singer who has survived a shootout. And that's the life and crimes of Chalino Sanchez. Uh, that's pretty much what we know about his life and how he died. Uh, again, don't know who did it, but I think we can get into some theories about who done it if you want. Uh, Because like I said, this is still an unsolved case that will likely stay unsolved because certain people don't want it solved. In fact, like the detectives who took on the case of the shootout in Coachella went to Culiacán after his death to get a copy of the official death certificate. But for some reason, the Mexican authorities stonewalled them and they had to jump through a lot of hoops in order to get what they were looking for. And what's even crazier is that de- the the detectives who went down there came back to their rooms and someone had broken in and rummaged through all of their things. Clearly, somebody didn't want them there. But who? The
0: Narcos.
2: Yeah, I was going to say. But the list of people was so long. Like,
1: There's a lot of things going on in his life, right, that could point to his... Uh, also how does no it? one know what
2: that note said like he threw it down how did nobody pick it up
1: that's i've been thinking about that too i don't know why if if my favorite singer was on stage within arm's reach and he threw down a piece of paper i would grab that Me you know time. i know we have a buddy tyler that goes to shows and he gets a set list at, at every show he can he doesn't get it every time but he reaches on that stage and grabs that piece of paper with the set list on it so as a huge fan of Cellino, you see him drop something why wouldn't
2: I you have reach out grab a gum wrapper Like, yeah, not even thinking twice about it, just a gum wrapper, but they didn't want to grab a note. And then I kind of feel like even if a fan didn't grab it, like after what happened, how come nobody in his circle
1: went to go look for it? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Or maybe they did. Maybe someone did find it. They do know what it says and they're not saying anything.
1: So this was 92. uh, That was 30 years ago. Almost exactly. Because May 15th, 30 years ago, almost exactly it's over 30 years ago but mm-hmm. um he so if someone did it when they were like whoever gave him the note let's say he was 20 something he would have been 50 by now we might in 20 years 30 years get a death com- deathbed confession like this is what the note said when I
2: mean, these people live rough lives he's probably coming up on his deathbed confession let's be honest
1: yeah i don't know i i I don't know if no one, people are afraid to talk, obviously, because it leads to a lot more questions than answers. It leads to, you know, the cartels being implicit or even the Mexican authorities being implicit or whoever directly being implicit. I mean, we we don't know what it says. And who killed them is even more of a mystery. No one knows for sure anything. There's a lot of rumors out there that we can talk about. But um, before we get into talking about... um, the possible theories something else that's kind of crazy and it it also could just be a straight-up coincidence or maybe there's more to it but chalino's oldest son adan sanchez who had followed in his father's footsteps and become a famous singer like his dad had recently become pretty famous all on his own but instead of singing narco corridos he went with the suave teenage idol route and wrote love ballads and dressed like his dad except a little bit more flashy Well. Adan was on tour and had finally made it to his dad's home state when the 1989 Crown Vic he was in with his friend and his manager and also his driver had suddenly blew a tire and the driver lost control and flipped over into a ditch. Adan had been the only fatality out of everybody, and authorities say it's because he wasn't wearing his seatbelt. So, coincidence that he was traveling through his dad's home state and died, or really just a hit because he was the only one who died?
2: But he was also the only one not wearing a seatbelt. Per yeah, the authorities, per the it's
0: authorities, okay. exactly. Oh, yeah. Authorities are saying, yes. And these are yeah, the, the same know.
2: authorities that will pull you over to take your money and let you go about your day.
0: Mm-hmm. Something like that. Oh my god. So you, yeah, be yeah you coach. trust
1: what they're saying and how it happened, or I don't know. But he was no, only he died because think- he, uh, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He was only 19, maybe 20, when he died. And he was he was definitely on his way to stardom, for sure.
2: Okay, I just want to circle back to the whole, you guys think that he sounds like shit. I thought he sounded really good.
1: It's just, when compared to, like, Vicente Fernandez, who I really enjoy, who has a clean, powerful voice, Chalino's voice is more rough and untrained. You know, like, it's... it's just like a regular guy out of tune singing at a restaurant you know he doesn't have the vocal training and so that's what i mean by bad voice like i it's enjoyable once you get used to it but for a lot of people it it was dirty it was bad and i don't know like like i said my parents didn't listen to it they weren't into that shit they weren't into the corridos first of all but they they didn't like his voice he was a bad singer so i don't know But now, another question is, if he hadn't died the way he did, do you think he'd have this much popularity? Do you think he'd have 102 million views? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think he'd be worth nearly as much. He would have been famous. Don't get me wrong. He would have been hella famous, he but not, not 102 million views, no. Like, let me look up someone. There's a lot of,
0: like, death that makes people more famous. That could have been,
2: like... Yeah. But I mean, honestly, I'd like s- just to say, like, I'd never heard of this person before you said anything about him. So, and then you just found that other podcast yesterday. So, like, I guess. Yeah, but there's you don't a whole listen world out to
0: freaking corridos.
2: <laughs> yeah. But, but you I would mean, have like, no
0: idea.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, for example, the other guy I talked about, Lupio Rivera, he has 486,000 subscribers and he's pretty famous he's po- and popular in the in the genre. So, uh, one hundred and two million is a lot more, a lot, lot more than four hundred eighty six thousand. So, I, I mean, I he he would be famous. Don't get me wrong; he'd be a hundred percent super famous and stuff. But he, I don't think he would have n- nearly the. Uh, th- we wouldn't be doing a podcast about him. First of all, he wouldn't have the attention that he got for first of all dying, and secondly, the mystery of his death. It it attracts more. Like the, I think the reason he has so many views is because people watch it. And just like I had you guys watch it to see the reaction on his face and what the feeling you get from that. When he opened the note to when he wiped the brow, a uh, sweat off his brow, you know, that's why people watch it. They analyze it. They pick it apart to see if there's anything they can see that, Oh shit. You know, this, there's some clue here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, in the podcast that I found called either the bout of, chino sanchez they have they break their episodes down into like five or six uh theories about why he died and basically it breaks down to these questions we're going to talk about it one by one just briefly so the first one was it the perez family you know the people that he killed when he was 15 or whatever was it them just waiting patiently for him to come back first of all uh and get the revenge because like i said being protecting your name and defending your honor is a huge thing and uh nacho himself had said that being a he said being a valiente and being a singer you can't do it because you are always like they're they always know where you're going to be you announce it you put on posters you i'll be here at this venue at this date at this time so when you're in that life and you're if you're a hitman or whatever the hell people are accusing him of, they know where to find him at any given point. So when he announced the show in Culiacán, was the Perez family like, fuck, this is my opportunity. I know exactly where he's going to be. And 15 years after he killed one of our people, we're going to get his ass. Was it them? Like, is there any weight to that theory at all?
2: It's plausible.
0: It probably is. But again, uh, no evidence it's all theories.
1: Yeah, it literally is like, all oh,
0: theories. He, he did this bad thing when he was young. Yeah, it mm-hmm. could be this. It could be the reason right. why he got...
1: I, so that's literally what all of these are. These like We have like four or five more to go through. and that's It's all
2: hearsay.
0: All of it. Objection. Hearsay.
2: <laughs> Sustained.
1: <laughs> Thank yeah. you. So that's the first theory um, that it was retaliation or getting back at Chilena for killing uh, El Chapo Perez 15 years ago. Now, the second theory is, was it Rigoberto's camp? Because if you remember, Rigoberto himself died in 91 and Cellino died in 92. And that theory is more based on that love triangle type thing. You know, when he uh, allegedly assaulted Rigoberto's wife and he was getting his vengeance for that. But like I said, Rigoberto died in 91. So it would have to have been the people who worked for him that carried it out, which this, I, don't I don't like the theory at all. Yeah, uh, this no, theory, no, I, don't I don't think like it's it
0: so as plausible. Yeah, this they, is just. They wouldn't have the anything. That, like, even if Don Rigoberto had said, Hey, Chilino try to uh, rape my wife, Elizabeth. Like, I I think the time that had passed and then on his death, I, I don't think they'd be like, Oh, remember that, Chilino? Yeah, we need to kill him. Uh,
1: yeah, I don't think. Especially since all his guards died with him that yeah. were with him that day. I don't this one I don't this is just a theory that people throw out there I don't think this one holds any water at all it's just like you said he did something this one time maybe that's why like that's all this is just fucking throwing things out there so the next theory is was it somebody who didn't take too kindly to one of his songs like we said like I said earlier uh when you write a corrido it's usually about one person and their enemy and the enemy is usually an asshole right and you call them a coward you call them you know a piece of shit in the song and so did someone who he wrote a song for, did his enemy not like that at all? Did his enemy take it personally and decide to get the ultimate revenge?
2: I don't think so. I think he was too like underground, you know, not really important enough to be on someone's radar to that level. Well, With except when, I mean, not like his
0: you're a life. Massive, like, you have these massive gorditos Broad, being broadcast to millions of people talking shit about you in particular yeah, I don't
2: think that he, he's not calling him out by name i don't think so he like, is you know he, he
0: literally is it's
1: personal oh. stories like these are real life stories that you know they're exaggerated in one way or another uh because they're trying to make whoever paid for them look good however these are events that happen and they use real names and that's one of the things he decided to change when he got with pedro rivera um to make himself more professional and when I talked to my mom, and actually my dad as well, he agreed. He thinks this is probably more likely would happen. Someone took his shit personally, like, because you're talking shit on them. You're, you're. He's getting super famous at this point, and you're saying that such and such is a coward, and and he did fucked up things or whatever. And so, like Will said, m- millions of people are trying to listen to you. He sells out every show. Their words are like a story. It's like news. So this is the news is getting around that you're an asshole, that you did such and such. So the, this is the one that my parents subscribed to about why they, he was murdered. Yeah, because you can imagine too
0: that those songs too would affect that person that he's talking shit about their personal life because now their friends, family, people they may come to know will be like, hey, aren't you that asshole from that song? that did all these terrible things. it's like, motherfucker. Yeah.
1: another thing that gives this, this theory credence, I think in my opinion is, um, so there was another guy who was also corridos singer named Valentin Elizalde. And back in the day when I was in eighth grade, I had, I was in Mexico for three months with my cousins and we made some money working for my uncle and we would go to the fair every day. And the fair had food and, you know, shops and live music. And I actually got a chance to see Valentin Elizalde, on stage in person and i remember him he was he had his dehana on he had like a flashy black like straight black outfit like really fancy like almost silky looking like he was very fancy and handsome and he had like a gold chain on and i didn't like the music but i, I was watching just like in awe like he just put on such like he, he had charisma on stage you know what i mean like he just drew people in and so what happened to valentine is he was a directly associated with Los losetas a cartel out of like juarez i think in that area and so he would play songs for them and about them and there was he had gotten commissioned a few songs about other cartels and he was playing a show in juarez or somewhere near there and for the cartel itself for the setas and he was told not to play that song he did anyway so when he left the show they followed um I don't know if he's the one that they literally just like pulled out the gats like after his show and everybody in the crowd shot him and his crew. Like every, there was like 17 people who died. I'm pretty sure that was him. Yeah. Like he they put he put on the show for the mafia or the cartel for the purpose of murdering him. Like he played the music and then after the show just killed the whole crew. Jeez. So, you know, so the, you play the wrong music for the wrong people and you get got and that's the reality of it. You know what you're doing. You're seeing corridos about narco You know what this is. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, I, I think that's one of the better theories and, like, more realistic. Uh, yeah. The next theory is, was it just somebody finishing the Coachella job? Was Eduardo Gallegos actually a hitman for a cartel or even because he kept asking for the song El Gallo de Sinaloa which was about a real person maybe the reason he was singing that or asking for that song was because he knew him or was working for him and didn't appreciate it and he got taken out or tried to be taken out by Edward on behalf of El Gallo de Sinaloa you know and then in Culiacán they just finished the job
0: I don't like that
2: one I don't either
1: no, you don't think it was a continuation? You think that was a fluke in Coachella?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Just the guy that was high on heroin?
0: Fucking drunk and high and got all pissed off, got his butt hurt because he didn't get to hear his song.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Okay. So the last one that I have written down is that... Uh, so the rumors about his life and his time with Rigoberto and other things he's done kind of lead to... assumption that chalino was actually like in the life and was actually a sicario or a hitman um, for a cartel and had killed someone recently uh, a famous or a brother of someone famous um, who they wanted revenge for and that's what he was telling nacho is that nacho was telling him they're trying to pin this murder on you and then chelena was like no i didn't have anything to do with that why would i be afraid of something i didn't do they have no reason to kill me but maybe the cartel doesn't give a fuck about facts and someone said that he'd done it so it got pinned on him and he got taken out as revenge for a recent murder of a cartel's brother or something like that you know there's it could be just be he was actually part of that life and this is just what happens when you live that life
2: this is what i think happened he was about that life and this is just what happens when you live that kind of life
1: Hmm. yeah see again none of this is verifiable none of this is like literally a lot of this is just legend hearsay stories that people say um and in the podcast idolo eric actually goes out and talks to people and like interviews real life people who knew him like face-to-face and ask them questions. And more times than not, he was sent this song by a band that I forget right now, but the song is called El Cantante. And everybody that told him about this song claims that if you listen to the lyrics and decode it because it's written in code, because you can't just say, I know who shot Chalino and this is who it is. You have to write it in code. And if you decode it, it tells you who shot him. And if you want to hear that theory, you can listen to their podcast. He does a really good job of breaking that down Um, I'm not going to take that one or really talk about it much more because that's his and he worked really hard to get that theory so Um, but yeah uh, at the end of the day we really don't know why he was murdered who murdered him or what could have happened because they were getting famous like I said but not I don't think they would have gotten famous to the point of us talking about him now so um, what do you guys think
2: he he would have like at that with Could that have, lifestyle, yeah. I don't mean like his singing, like Selena level or whatever. I well, yeah, like, that video has more,
1: has way more. Even than "Bd bd bum bum," that that video has way more clicks than anything Selena, anything really. Bob Dylan or whatever. Like he has a lot.
2: I guess of, because there's also a lot of mystery surrounding just the title, the Death Note. Like you want to see what exactly. Yeah. People are looking at morbid. when they're referring to that, like does it show it i know that people say that they don't show it it doesn't we don't ever find out what it says but then again some people probably lead you to that link and don't say that there's nothing shown you don't know what it says they never recover that blah blah blah
1: blah. some people straight straight up make shit up like they like i said we don't know what it said but someone had said that it says if you continue the show you're gonna die like that's what they're saying because they're just adding shit to something that's not there and I think that's one of the main reasons Lupio Rivera did his series is to kind of dispel all that shit of people just like adding whatever they want and uh, guessing about his life, which I tried not to do. I try to stick to as much uh, stuff that I come, came across that people who actually interviewed people and investigated shit had said. Um, but again, we will never know. Nope. And that's all I got. If you guys want to. You guys have any? I'm scared to else?
2: speculate.
0: <laughs> I just thought it was someone that took a song to heart. And yeah, I think like my it.
1: parents, I agree with my parents. I think that it was just someone who maybe someone made fun of him, you know, at home because they heard Chalino's song and took it to heart. And now he's dead. I like that one. Okay. Well, that was the life and crimes of Chalino Sanchez, a kind of anti hero. Uh, Mexican Corrido Superstar.
2: Mm.
0: Sweet. Yeah.
2: All right. So um yeah, you know, check us out. Um Facebook, Instagram at Bloodthirsty Times, TikTok, and Twitter at Bloodthirsty Pod, and you can email us at Bloodthirsty at gmail.com. And you can also subscribe on anchor.fm that forward slash Oh, yeah, we the, the yeah. yeah, we have the video pod. Yeah, we have the video pod. 2 dollars a month.
1: And also make mo- sure to check out Emily and I on Baranormal's recent episode. Uh, that was a lot of fun to do and uh, we hope Will will join us next time.
0: Yes. <laughs> Barring any technical <laughs> difficulties, I would be there. Will be there. It was very fun. Yeah. Awesome. Well,
2: thanks for listening.
0: Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.